Morning. Well, as you know, we're in First Thessalonians, so you can be turning uh, there. Today we're going to be preaching through uh, and learning from First Thessalonians uh, verses one through four. Don't shoot the messenger. Right? That's a, a popular phrase that is used by people uh, when they, they have a message, but they realize the response of the people who they're, they're giving it to, right? They realize it's a message that ultimately, you know, I, I'd rather not tell you this. I understand it's going to make you mad. Don't shoot me over it. It comes from somebody else. Right? And they realize that declaring a message... It was actually dangerous business. Because the person that they're declaring it to ultimately can take the offense personally and say, well, you're the guy who told it to me and I'm mad at you. And, and so ultimately, you know, you, you're in danger. And I think as we go through our passage today, we're going to see why the messenger, even though he knows that he potentially could get shot, right? Don't shoot the messenger, potentially get shot. Why he gives the message anyway, right? Why, if you were a messenger and you realized you were delivering the sort of news that could put you in danger, why would you do that? I think Paul is going to explain that to us today. So let's start First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity, or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. The first thing that we see in verse 1 is that he didn't come in vain. Right? Our coming to you was not in vain. I don't think anyone ultimately desires to do something in vain. Right? If you're at your job and you're trying to accomplish something and, and in the course of that it, it becomes obvious to you that it's going to affect nothing, that nothing's going to change, Essentially, your heart sinks down in your chest and you, you, you wonder, why am I even doing this? Right? You say, well, I'm, just, I'm doing this in vain. Why do I even continue to perform these tasks when, when ultimately they, they lead to no effect? And that's because all of us, I think, ultimately desire that our actions would be effective, that they would have a result 
You know, vanity. Man, why would anyone practice vanity? Well, sometimes we do vanity, not ultimately because we know it's vanity, because in our minds we deceive ourselves, right? Well, if I do this, maybe, maybe this is, this is being affected, this is changing. So ultimately, in our minds, we think we're not doing something vain, even though it is. So what is the rubric for vanity? How can I determine whether something is vain or not? And Paul's going to give us just a, a little glimpse, right, about what vanity is, right? And ultimately, that has to connect to this message, right? So... Obviously, he doesn't think the message that he's proclaiming is vain. Because if he thought it was vain, he wouldn't even go. And I think uh, we'll make a suggestion up front, and, and we can see if the text bears this out or not, but the, the rubric that he suggests for vanity is that it has some effect. It has some weight. Something is going to ultimately change because of it. So the application here, right? First thing we can see is no messenger goes to declare anything to anyone if that messenger thinks what he's declaring is vanity, that it doesn't mean anything at all. And just for us, and this is the, this is the first step, how can I declare this message when I don't even think that it's going to do anything for anyone. And now he goes and dives in in verse 2. So instead of vanity, he's, he's giving a, us a contrast. So instead of vanity, verse 2 shows us what he really thinks his message is. Right? So, but, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. The first thing that he shows us is, is who the message is from and ultimately is connecting that to the power that he uses to declare that message. Right? He calls it the gospel of God. He doesn't say, and, and let's translate that word, what's gospel mean? It means good news. So he's a messenger with good news, but he is not the source of that good news, but he is the one declaring that the source is from God. We see also, so it's not vanity, but this message is, is from God and that gives it an ultimate importance. So as opposed to being any sort of, of message that is unnecessary, it's from God. And so the source indicates the importance of the message he's giving. And here's the message that he delivered. right? So he's telling us at Philippi, and then he comes to Thessalonica, and he delivers the same message, this gospel of God. 
And ultimately, he goes on to Berea. And we hear this in, in Acts chapter 17. Uh, if you want to look at the background of Paul's missionary journeys, you can follow through with this. Right? But what do we hear? So he goes to Philippi and he tells us here, and we learn in Acts, that he is not treated very well. He, he has a lot of difficulty at Philippi. And yet, right, he's telling him, and yet I came to you at Thessalonica. Well, and what happened there, right? He gets chased out of town. Well, and he moves on to Berea. Well, the Thessalonians are so incensed that they don't just stay home and say, well, we got rid of Paul, that's great. They hear, oh, he's in the next town? Well, let's go chase him out there, too. Right, and you're thinking, Paul, what are you doing? Don't you learn? You know, you, you go to Philippi, you, you get treated poorly because of your message. You go to Thessalonica, you get treated poorly because of your message. Something's got to change, Paul. You keep doing the same thing with the same poor result. Either you're ignorant or stupid. Or you just... Get it through your thick skull. Change something. Right? Maybe you should get a, a different message. Maybe you should change the message in some way that when you go into town, you aren't getting chased out. So these people, they'll listen. But we know that's not true. Right? Paul isn't ignorant or crazy to continue to deliver the message at Philippi and get chased out. He gives the same message Thessalonica gets chased out and delivers the same message at Berea. He's not crazy. And why is that? Well, it's because he is a messenger with a message. He is not the guy who creates the message. Right? So he shows up to Philippi and he says to them, guys, here is the, the gospel, the good news of God. And this, is, this is the content, a, a rough content of what the gospel is. Right? He tells them, he stands before them and he says, you're not as good as you think you are. But God is far better than you know. You're not as good as you think you are. Because you work evil deeds. You sin against the living God. You sin against your neighbor. But God is far better than you know. Because even though you're not as good as you think you are, God is so good that even though He didn't have to, He sent His Son to die for the punishment of the wrong things you've done. And if this is a new message for you, if this is something you've never heard, I would strongly encourage you to talk to someone about this. Um, we're going to have elders uh, available after the service. If this, is, if this is something you want to know more about. But 
you can see how this message could potentially get him chased out of town, right? This message where he's telling people, you're not as good as you think you are. Well, some people, they're, they're thinking, you know, Paul, you're right, and I'm so grateful that God has done this for me. But there are other people. There are other people who are sitting before him, and they're saying, Paul, you don't even know who I am. You don't know how righteous I am. You know, I'm, I'm nearly perfect. And you're willing to come in here and say, I'm not as good as I think I am? Well, certainly, that could get you chased out of town. But why? But why declare that message other than he is a messenger declaring the thing that he must? Right? He's not the one who controls the message. He's just the one who gives the message. And that's why it's very important that we, we specify this is the gospel of God. This is not Paul's gospel. This isn't Silvanus's gospel, Timothy's or John's or Peter's. This is the gospel of God. And that is its source. And so Paul cannot get creative with the content. It reminds me of in ancient times. People used to seal letters and scrolls uh, with wax. So they would, they would take a candle and they would drip wax onto the seal, the place where the, the paper met, and they would take a ring. And this ring was, was uh, very unique. It was the mark of the person who wrote the letter. And they would imprint this wax with this very unique seal. And this is a way of showing that this is an authentic letter from the person who sent it. Right? So they would put this seal on it. They would hand it to the messenger. The messenger would go and bring it to the recipient. And now if the recipient received that, and the wax seal was broken. You could say, I call a foul on the, on the play, right? Because that messenger perhaps could have opened and added to the content of that message. Or that messenger potentially could have opened and read that message for some sort of personal gain. But if the letter made it all the way from the hand of the author to the recipient, and that wax seal was still there, the person receiving it knew this is an authentic message from the person who wrote it, and I can trust every word of it. And here Paul is saying, I'm just the messenger. I have an authentic message from God for you. Right, but I haven't broken the seal and scribbled in my own handwriting to add to it, to soften it, to make it so that I am not in trouble, so that you don't shoot this messenger. So what, where does this leave us? 
Well, I think the first question is, is our gospel from God? There's so many things that people put their stamp on as being good news, right? And there's so many earthly opinions on, on what's good news, what's bad news. You know, we, we all have our own opinions, but when it comes to the message of God, there's no way for us, there shouldn't be, we shouldn't allow ourselves to break the wax seal on that message so that we can change it in any way. And our hearts, you know, our hearts are so inclined to doing this. Why? Because at the other end, the recipient is going to receive this message and they're going to they potentially want to shoot the messenger. Right? And so we have, in some ways, a vested interest in desiring to change it, to tweak it, uh, to, you know, to quote-unquote personalize it in such a way that it, it might not be the message that it originally was. And this, this is all of us. You know, this, is, this is me. And how are we going to keep an eye on what we're saying, the message that we're proclaiming? And we have to be constantly coming back and comparing, right? Was the message I'm proclaiming the same message that was proclaimed in the Bible? We have to keep honing in. Is, is this actually the word of God? Is this the good news of God? Or is this, is this the good news of Troy? <laughs> you know, cheese for everyone. Good news, guys. <laughs> And we just, we can't allow ourselves to do that. And the second thing, this is, is the opposite of vanity, right? So Paul tells us he doesn't want to speak in vain. He tells us about this weighty message that is from God, right? So the, the person who's it, who it's from, the source dictates the importance of the message, right? In medieval times, if a servant of the king wrote you a letter, you would respond differently than if the king himself wrote you the letter. And this is the king of all kings giving us a message. And so it shows the ultimate weight of the message. And the ultimate weight of this message is the exact opposite of vanity. But do we believe that? Is that something, when I declare the word of God, the gospel that says, you're not as good as you think you are, but God is better than you know, do I really believe that that's better than vanity? Where does that fall on our spectrum of priorities, of things that are important and worth talking about. Right? Because we, we order our, our priorities. You know, we, these are the things that are most important. These are the things that are least important. And the least important of all things is vanity. Something that doesn't matter at all. And so where are we putting the gospel on that ordering of priorities? Well, he goes on. 
He's been talking about this gospel that's from God. But he tells us that he declares it in boldness. Looking at verse 2, he says, As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. And so now he's talking about the way in which he brought that message. He didn't bring it sheepishly. Paul didn't just take a piece of paper and, and scribble the gospel down and, and go to the city gate and post it, right? He's not, he's not just posting, this is the gospel. Well, you know, they've got a sufficient witness. There's a, there's a placard on the, the city gate. And now I'm going to leave to the next town. And certainly, he probably wouldn't have received the treatment he did if that was the way he went about things. No, Paul declared this gospel, this weighty message, with boldness. As we see, his custom was to go into a town, and he would go into the synagogue. So this is the place where uh, Jewish people would receive teaching, and he would go and he would stand up in front of them, and he would declare the message of the gospel. Right, And this is how he gets people angry with him, right? Because he's sitting there actively declaring to them, well, you guys just don't get it. And here, let me help you understand. And for some, right? So we see this church at Thessalonica has popped up. Some had ears that were receptive to this message. But yet others, after hearing this message, got incensed and, and you know, drove Paul out of town, stoned him, you know, uh, misrepresented his character. But why? Because of his boldness. We have to remember, right, so he's bold, but where is the source of this boldness? Right, we can be bold for so many things, partially due to our arrogance. Some of the, some of the things that we feel stro most strongly about aren't because God put that on our hearts, but ultimately our own hearts want to toot our own horn. You know, do you guys understand how right I really am? I'm sure many of you have met someone who declares boldly their greatness, their message. But this boldness, this boldness to declare that the gospel of God actually comes from the very source of the message itself. So not only is the message given to Paul by God, but the boldness to declare that message is ensured also by God. And as we've seen in previous weeks, Paul's talking to the Thessalonians and he's saying, you became imitators because of the power of the Holy Spirit in you, because of God working in you. Right? He can say to them again, I came to you not because of my own opinion, but because of God working in me to declare this boldly. 
couple things to think about here. Do we boldly tell the message? Right? Are we active in going forth and telling people this is the gospel of God? And this is hard. You know, it's, it's very difficult and, and the culture is currently grading against any sort of message that says ultimately you're not in control. There's someone bigger better who is. That's also why when we think about declaring the gospel boldly, we have to think about the source of the boldness. Are we praying, God, give me boldness. Embolden my heart to declare a very difficult message. Right? We know, if we look at Paul's ministry, we know that our ministry of the gospel could well mirror his. And so are we praying, God, give me the boldness to do this. Because it isn't by Paul's own strength that he's doing this. It's by the Spirit of God working in him to go about the difficult work of giving this message. Now we'll go on to verses 3 and 4, which shows us the the reason for the confidence of this message. Right? And he tells us two things. You know, to make a summary of verse 3, it was not an error. Make a summary of verse 4. But it was God's entrusted message to us. And again, let's think about why we should deliver a message that we consciously know will make us suffer. So, right, if you were told that you will deliver a message and suffer, what are the reasons that you would choose to give that message? Well, in verse 3, he tells us the first reason why you wouldn't, why you wouldn't choose to give that message. It's not error. Right? So, verse 3, it tells us, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. Uh, we can also translate that as immorality. Or any attempt to deceive. This isn't a reason why you would declare a message that would make you suffer. And, for, you know, that makes sense to us, Right? How many of you have seen someone who's declared a message, right? So perhaps the stereotype of a used car salesman, right? He's about to sell you a lemon. And that message, the confidence that he uses in that message often seems very thin. Because he knows ultimately the message he has for you is error. You don't ultimately suffer for a message if you know it's false, right? Unless, like the used car salesman, you have a way of gaining by selling that false message. And this is important to Paul because if we go back to Acts 17, we see he spent only perhaps three weeks in Thessalonica and then got chased out very swiftly. 
And it's, it's possible the people, his opponents, are now looking at the, this young church and saying, well, where'd Paul go? You know, he is, he's just a, a lie teller who is trying to take advantage of you guys. And since he realized it didn't work out, it wasn't going to because of us, he left town. Right? He was, he was a snake oil salesman trying to give you some phony religion when you know that that's not true and he was going to gain off of it. And Paul is writing to them and he's saying, you know, you yourselves know that that's not true of the message I gave you. Right? And if we look back to verse 2, we can realize, right, if Paul is a snake oil salesman, he has the worst business plan in the history of snake oil. Right? Because he is not making this message look very attractive to many people. Right? I, I think he would want to stay in Thessalonica more than three weeks if he was trying to, to gain something out of him, put the squeeze on him. And so we can look back and we can know, no, like Paul is not someone who believes what he's saying is an error. And because of that, he is able to confidently give that message. He's not the man who's giving this thin message and underneath of it is all this greed and, and personal desire. But he's giving this message because it was entrusted to him, right? So verse 4. Just thinking about us. What's this mean for us? You'll only proclaim the message boldly if you think that message is not an error. Now, if you think... Perhaps the Bible is not the Word of God. You will not give that message boldly. You will intellectualize, you'll rationalize, you'll make excuses for. If you don't have faith in the message, you know, you could you can assent to a doctrinal position, right? We talked about this last week. You can ascend to a doctrinal position and still, ultimately, that is not what you put your faith in, your hope in. And ultimately, at the bo very bottom of it, your heart does not believe that's true. So even though you think, well, all the gears work together right, it's just a drawing on paper, and it's just a theory. It's not a fact. And that's going to affect the way that you proclaim this message. Because when you, when you come into town and you're faced with people who are willing to shoot the messenger, you're going to say, well, you know, it's, it's ultimately not true, and so there's no reason to get shot. And so I might as well either not say it or soften it. Right? Because... God, as a source of a message, is not worthy to be proclaimed. I ultimately, the very bottom of it, don't trust messages from God. We've got to search ourselves for this. And, and as we grow in our faith and our understanding of the scriptures, that, that grows. 
But so often we, we, we hedge our bets, right? Am I really willing to get shot for this message? Or, you know, maybe, maybe there's a little error. Well, we finally in verse 4 hear that Paul is entrusted with this message, right? So let's go back to uh, this envelope with the wax seal. Right, so who did the author of that letter give the envelope with the wax seal? So they didn't have the United States Postal Service. So they had to, to hand choose. Well, here is the person I've decided to hand this letter with potentially sensitive information. We don't just hand anyone who can walk the distance that letter. Right? You don't hand it to, to anyone who's just physically capable. Why? Because they get that letter in their hand and they start thinking, well, how much do I really like Troy? You know, if I were to backstab him, you know, open this letter, use the contents to gain from his enemies, if I were to backstab him, I could probably get more money out of this deal. That's why you don't just hand it to anyone. You hand it to someone you trust, someone who you know, their character is such that they are going to get it all the way to the other end without opening it. And Paul is saying here, so just as we've been approved by God, right, they've been approved. He, he's given them the gold stamp of approval. And since they have this gold stamp, now they are entrusted with this message. With the gospel, right? The gospel of God. And ultimately we see, right, so what's that trust based in? So, God knows that this message is going to make it to the other end, unadulterated, the stamp of approval, the entrustment, because at the very bottom of it, so going to the end of verse, so we speak not to please man, but to please God. Right? So as a messenger, you've got to think, right? Well, why can that messenger be trusted? Because ultimately the person who sent him is the one he trusts or wants to please over anyone else who would want to intercept that letter. Any other person who might want to, to open it up and, and write something else in there. And here we hear that at the very bottom, the reason that Paul is willing, and this is a mark of his ministry is suffering. The reason he's willing to go to Philippi and the reason he's willing to go to Thessalonica and after being abused at Philippi, he's willing to go to Thessalonica with boldness, right? That's what we hear. Verse 2, with boldness and declare the same message that just got him ran out of Philippi and, and then he gets run out of Thessalonica. And he's willing to go to Berea. At the very bottom of all of this, 
there's these two options, right? Who's, who's he going to please? Right? There's that saying, you've got to serve somebody. Who's he going to serve? And ultimately, he realizes in his mind, God is far more worthy of service than anyone else. And so when I deliver this message, I'm not going to hedge my bets. Because I know the person who sent me with this message is far more powerful than the person I'm giving the message to. The implications of displeasing God are far greater than the implications of displeasing men who think they're better than they are. And so he's willing to go and to, to continue to give this message, right? Not his message, the gospel of God, even as he is abused, imprisoned. And we're entrusted, right? We're, we're entrusted with this same message from God. Now the only question is, who are you going to please? Are you going to hedge your bets and say, well, you know, those people, they can do a lot of bad things to me. Right? Or are we going to understand the master, the one who sent us, is far better, far more powerful than people who can merely kill our bodies but I'd rather serve the God who's able to save me through his son or people who can merely kill the flesh. And that's what we've got to ask ourselves day in and day out. Right? As, we, as we walk out our front door and we interact with other people, this is, this is the message that ultimately will give us this boldness, will give us this desire to get the message right. Because if we don't believe that God is who he says he is, we just won't do it. There won't be motivation enough to do it. So as we go out as messengers, bringing a message that ultimately some will not like, we can go. Know that, knowing that our, our message is ultimately not vanity, it's the exact opposite of vanity. It's infinitely valuable. That it's the good news from God, which God will supply the power to deliver it boldly. It's not error, it's true. And it's been entrusted to us by God, whom we ulti ultimately desire to please. Pray with me. Lord, we just pray for opportunities for boldness in our lives. We just pray that you would be giving us strength in our bodies, our frail bodies and emotions. 
that we would ultimately desire to be faithful to the message you've entrusted to us. And Lord, we, we just thank you. We thank you for the message you've entrusted to us because we know that it is life and peace eternal. It is not bad news. It is good news. And Lord, help us to, to believe that, understand that, know that more every day. Lord, as we go about our lives, might you continue to grow us in all of these things. We just pray all this in your name. Amen. It does not leave us without a witness.